Welcome back to season two of the Imposter Syndrome Files. My name is Kim Menninger, and I am so grateful that you're joining us. When I started this podcast last year, my primary goal was to normalize the experience of imposter syndrome, to make it easier for us to talk about, and to access the support that we deserve. I am so grateful to everyone who has shared their stories with me, and I'm fascinated by the linkages between imposter syndrome and so many other facets of our lives. The conversations that we had last season led us in so many powerful directions. I'm excited to continue these conversations in season two. As always, if you have a story to share, please reach out to me. I would love to interview you. And if I can ever support you on your own imposter syndrome journey, I'd love to connect on that too. Thanks again for being here. Welcome, Cynthia. I am really excited to have you here today, and I'd love to start by asking you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh, thank you, Kim. It's so great to be on your podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. So I'm Cynthia Farrell. I am the owner and principal of 110 West Group, and I have 110 West Group and and myself. It's a uh, HR, talent, leadership, and organizational culture consulting firm based out of the Denver uh, area, but working obviously anywhere, especially right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And my background is over 20 years of really deep experience in talent, leadership, organizational culture, all those areas that I like to focus in, um, and really helping leaders at organizations make sure that they have that talent and culture that they need in order to achieve their business strategies. That's where I really love to focus. My uh, passion area is in mid-sized, high-growth tech companies, kind of really niche. Um, That's where I really love to work, but I enjoy working really in any industry, any sector. Um, But that what's most important to me is to just help those companies get that right culture and right leadership in place. So that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Excellent. And I'd love to kick us off with a couple of questions that I typically ask around imposter syndrome. So Mm -hmm. what does imposter syndrome mean to you and how does it show up for you? I love the question. So imposter syndrome means two things to me. Um, And one of the things it means to me is I have a card that's sitting on my desk and it is by the, written by, designed by the incredibly talented Emily McDowell. I have a number of her cards actually. And this card says at the top, it says the inner monologue of smart, strong women everywhere. I'm a talentless garbage person and everyone is going to find out. And then at the bottom of the card, it says, you got this. And I keep that on my desk as a reminder that what I feel, that inner monologue that (laughs) says that all the time, that's imposter syndrome and I'm not alone. And so that's one of the, one of the things that imposter syndrome means to me. And, And I think a more concise way to put that is when I'm in the middle of doing something and I have this thought, this you know, little voice in the back of my head that says, who are you to? Who are you to think that you can do this or think that someone's going to want to work with you or think that you deserve this opportunity? Who are you to? And I hear that voice and I'm getting better at recognizing it and stopping it and not going down that rabbit hole, but it's definitely there. And I'll tell you, Kim, you know, I have been 
you know, like I mentioned in my introduction, I've been in this space for over 20 years and I, I know the space. I know the industries really well that I've worked in. I know what I'm doing, but I still have that voice. I, you know, a couple of months ago, I was doing some work to prepare for a strategic planning session that I was going to be doing with a client and have been doing with a client, all virtual. And I was getting everything ready and designing the flow of the session and you know just all the prep work that I do. And I went out and I looked at the output from the strategic planning that they'd worked with the different um, consultants about three years ago, three, four years ago. And I was looking at this and it looked really great and it was really powerful. And that voice went through my head that said, who are you to think that you can do this? Mm. Why do you think that you can do this as well as, you know, this other group did or whatever? And I had, I mean, I heard myself thinking that and I was able to acknowledge that and stop myself and say, nope, you do know what you're doing. You're going to do it a different way. You know that your way works and they wouldn't have selected you if they didn't believe in you. But it's still, I mean, it still shows up all the time, you know, when I'm, when I'm working on something, even if I know what I'm doing. Wow. You shared so much right there that I think is so powerful. A few themes that came up for me are, first of all, knowing your strengths. You said, I know what I'm doing, right? Mm -hmm. So you recognize that you have skills and strengths in these areas, yet the voice still shows up, right? It's not Mm -hmm. something that really ever goes away. What it sounds like triggered this example that you just shared is this comparison Mm -hmm. to what the other group had done or the, the other consultant had offered and that natural reflexive response that we often have of like, oh, I could never do it as well as someone else did it, right? It's this pressure that we put on ourselves. Yet in response, you heard yourself, right? Like I loved (laughs) it. You recognized you were doing that and were able to short circuit a bit and say, no, right? I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Uh, They wouldn't have chosen me, like you said, unless they believed in me. So there's a lot going on in, in that scenario that you described. How did you get to a place where you could catch yourself you know, I think that has been a journey really probably over the past five to seven years when I think I have grown exponentially into who I am as a leader and as a professional. It's been a journey of self-awareness because there are a lot of stories. There are a lot of tapes that I have playing <laughs> in my head. That's just one of them, right? And they all go back, you know, to for various reasons and, and various, you know, bags that I carry around. Um, but it's just building that self-awareness muscle and realizing when you're having a reaction and why you're having that reaction. And it's so funny, Kim, that you not, I mean, not funny, but it's, it's meaningful that you mentioned that piece about comparison, because for me, that really is a lot of what it comes down to is comparison. And, um, coincidentally, I was listening this morning to Brene Brown's latest podcast, and she's interviewing um, someone in her circle who has has written a book called Stretch, I think. 
And one of the themes of what they're talking about is about how comparison is the thief of joy, Mm. which we hear all the time, right? What's even more ironic about this for me is that a lot of times, you know, I, I work in this leadership space. I talk a lot about authenticity, talk a lot about, you know, building organizational cultures and how do you do that? And that who am I to voice, a lot of times it will be, who am I to do this? Because Brene Brown does this. Nobody's going to listen to me. (laughs) And it's, again, hearing that voice and having the self-awareness to say, okay, I am comparing myself to somebody who is, you know, amazing and phenomenal. And you know what? There's space enough for all of us here. But again, it's being able to hear that. And that's the piece, that self-awareness to say, okay, I'm having this inner monologue and I know why I'm having the inner monologue. It's because I am comparing myself to your point. I am comparing myself and there's no reason to compare. There is space enough for all of us. So it was interesting because I was, um, one of the clients I'm working with, we're working on work to do some culture development, culture shift for where their culture needs to go for the future. And part of that is doing a culture gap assessment. Um, And I was, you know, we had, we defined, they've defined their values and then we've defined these values-based behaviors. And I had a process in my head for how I wanted to go about defining these values-based behaviors with their leadership team, but I wanted to do some research and see what's out there. And I ended up on you know, funnily enough, uh, Brene Brown's website. And she has a process out there around how to define values-based behaviors. And it's the same process. It will, for the most part, very similar process to what I was planning to use too. And, And that was validating to me to say, okay, you know, like I said, there's space enough for all of this. One person doesn't hold all of the thought leadership on something and that I have something valuable to bring to this too. I love that so much, and especially the piece about Brene Brown, because I find myself doing the exact same thing with her. <laughs> like, really, Brene Brown has cornered the market on all of these ideas, right? It's like, what right. do I have to say? Uh, but you're so right that there is space for all of us, and people hear things differently from different sources, and there's different access points to this information, and so we all have an opportunity here, and I think that that uh, the abundance mindset plays mm-hmm. a role too, because I do think that that comparison piece that we're talking about can be so, so powerful in, in negative ways of making us feel like, well, if that person is an expert, then I'm not good enough as opposed to mm-hmm. looking at it through a more nuanced lens of, well, yeah, that person can be good at it. And so can I. You know, that is a trap. That comparison piece is a trap. I found myself really getting sucked into on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, feeling like all of these people were posting and doing and saying all these really amazing things. And wow, I just felt really, really, really inadequate. Um, And again, the comparison piece. And I had a really wonderful coach, business coach who I worked with, a professional coach who helped me through some of that as well. But again, I think as I, so I just started my own business a little over a year ago and I had to shift my mindset about a lot of that. You know, if I was going to take this risk to go into business for myself and not go back into a corporate role, I needed to own my own genius, if you will, I needed to say, 
yes, I have a reason to be here. I have a, a I have every right to be here. And, you know, I can't be comparing myself to what other people are doing. I can look to that and learn from that and be happy for them, but I can't compare myself to them or there is no way I am going to be successful in this. It was really kind of an eye-opening moment for me. It came a couple of months ago. I was sitting at my kitchen counter and was doing some work actually on my business and, and framing up some of my thinking and philosophy around leadership. And I just had it on a piece of paper um, and my husband came over. My husband's a sales guy. I mean, this is not his area of expertise. And I said, hey, I just want to talk through this with you because you know if it makes sense to a sales guy, it'll probably make sense to anyone. And I talked through it with him. And I'm like, this is how I'm thinking about leadership. And I walked through my model with him and he looks at me, he's like, how do you know all this? And I'm like, I, I just do. <laughs> so again, you know, I just had to really be willing to be okay and accept that I know what I'm doing. And there's no, I think part of where imposter syndrome can come from, especially for women, is that there is shame in feeling proud of something. Yes. That there is shame in feeling like, you know, being, being willing to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm really good at this. The only way that I was going to be successful in this is if I was willing to raise my hand and say, hey, I know what I'm doing and I can help you. Yes, that's such a powerful point to the shame in having or embracing or expressing our strengths. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. back. That, that's a lethal combination when you think about it of comparing ourselves to others and not feeling like we measure up combined with not feeling like it's acceptable to be proud of our own strengths. I mean, that just sets us up for everything that we're talking about. Right. Right. So how do you feel as a business owner, as opposed to working for others? Has that been, I'm sure it's triggered imposter syndrome in other ways, but has that been empowering to you? How do you, uh, how do you feel now versus back in the, the other role that you were playing? That is such an interesting question. I, at the beginning, when I first launched my business, I definitely was struggling with that idea of who is going to Who's going to bring me in? Who's going to pay me to do this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, since then, I've had a, a lot of really amazing clients and a really amazing projects that I've worked on. And what's interesting, and, and the reason I said that's an interesting question, is because I actually think that this journey of owning my own business has really helped to push that imposter syndrome voice back a little bit. I feel more confident in what I know and what I'm doing than I think I did when I was in a corporate environment. And, and I, I'm glad you asked that question because I haven't really reflected on that until now in, in having this conversation. I, I, it's rarer now for me to sit, other than like I was mentioning that, that moment when I was doing the strategic planning work, it's rare for me to sit and think, I have no idea what I'm doing and everyone's going to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because I'm getting 
that opportunity to choose what I want to work on. So I'm able to choose work that is interesting to me and that excites me and that I'm passionate about and that plays to those strengths, those things that I do know that I'm really good at. And so therefore it's, and at the same time, it's still stretching me because it's either in industries I haven't worked in before, you know, or or it's a different, different client but there's less of that sense of somebody wants me to do something and I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and if you don't like him, I'm going to segue into what I think is an important part of my journey through imposter syndrome. And that was the last corporate role that I had. Yes, I'd love to. Yeah, the last, the last corporate role I had. So like I mentioned, I've had over 20 years of experience in leadership, talent, organizational development. And had this amazing role at a mid-sized, high-growth, PE-funded tech company. Loved my job. I was building their talent and org dev function. And I'd been there for a year. It was a unicorn role. I loved it. Every day, I got to pick what I wanted to work on. I you know, rarely felt that imposter syndrome because I, I was, again, I was really in my space. And um, I'd been there a year, and our leader, our head of HR, left. The leadership came to me and asked me if I would step into the role as the SVP of HR. Now, I have no background in benefits, compensation, employee relations, you know, em- employment law, none of that. I, that is not my background. But I'm always up for a challenge. So I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> Why not? And I w- ended up in that role for two years. Um, and just you know, fast forward, what ended up happening is my company got acquired and I took a package and left. It was fantastic. Um, really, it, it was what springboarded me into starting my own company. But in those two years that I was in that role leading HR, on a daily basis, I legitimately had no idea what I was doing. I mean, this was not imposter syndrome. This was, I had no idea what I was doing because I had never done any of this before. And what I had to do was really lean into asking for help and being willing to admit when I didn't know. And I started off, I mean, when I went in to have a conversation with my, you know, now to be new boss and accept the role, I said, you know, I just need to be really clear with you, Ken, I am going to require more support and more grace than somebody who's been doing this for, you know, 20 years. Yep. Yep. We've got you. Now, I was really lucky because I was in an environment where I was very supported. I had leaders around me who were so phenomenal about, you know, giving me the support that I needed, helping me to figure out what I was doing. I credit a lot of my ability to be successful in that role in a you know, fairly efficient way to our, um, the individual who was our SVP of finance and the amount of time that he spent with me and just helping me get through all of these details that I didn't understand. And, and my HR director, I had an amazing team of people around me, but I had to be willing to raise my hand every day and say, I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. And it was, it was incredibly humbling And it was just such the most rewarding experience to have this community around me who was willing to, you know, lean in and help me and help us be successful. And the reason I go back to that is because that whole experience really taught me the importance of saying, I don't know, and I need help. And, you know, if I had sat there 
and had my imposter syndrome voice going for those two years. And oh, oh my gosh, I can't let anybody know that I don't know what I'm doing. Because again, I really did not know what I was doing. You know, but I can't let anybody know. So I have to fake it and I have to figure it out on my own. I am fairly certain it would have been a, a disaster. And that experience taught me that if you are in a space where, and you have to be in a space where it's supportive and it is safe to ask for help and to say, I don't know what I'm doing. But if you can do that, people want to help. People want other people to be successful and to succeed. And that whole experience then, when I you know, made the decision not to go back into corporate and launch my own business, I had to be willing to ask for help along the way with the pieces that I didn't know about starting a business. I wasn't going to figure it out on my own. You know, part of what I've done is I've, I've joined a mastermind group, um, have a business coach, and that's been incredibly successful because I need to have that community around me that I can ask for help when I don't know what I'm doing. It also then reinforced for me that I do know what I'm doing in the spaces where I've built that thought leadership, which I think to back to your question around how has being in, you know, my own being having my own business, how has that been different from being in corporate? I feel much more confident now because I know that I really know what I know, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I'm processing what you're saying and trying to formulate this question that's not even clear in my own mind. So I'm going to take a stab at this and see how it comes out. But what's really interesting about what you just shared is there were known gaps in your skill set when you Mm -hmm. stepped into that role. And I wonder if that made it easier to some extent and what others can learn from that. Because you couldn't change the fact that you didn't have the benefits and compensation pieces in your background. It was what it was, so to say, right? And Mm -hmm. likely the people who chose you to be in that role understood that that wasn't part of your background. So there was this transparency all around Mm -hmm. that you didn't have that. Now, certainly your courage and willingness to ask for help helped you to fill those gaps when you needed. But I wonder sometimes there's this expectation that we have that when we step into a role, we have already mastered it, that day one, we have 100% of the skills and competencies that we need to be successful in this new role, which is absurd, right? We haven't right. done it before. <laughs> but what can we learn from your experience of like just recognizing anytime something's new, there are known gaps. It just is, right? And and if we can, instead of feeling like there's something shameful about not having mastered work we haven't done before, but instead acknowledge it for what it is and and go out there and seek that kind of support, it's going to be so much less stressful and painful overall. Absolutely agree. And it was a really unique situation. And I know, you know, I'm very supportive of individuals who move into roles that are really outside of their area of expertise. Um, You know, the, one of my favorite visuals is this, you know, circle that says your comfort zone. And then outside of the circle is, you know, where the growth happens, right? And it happens outside of your comfort zone. And and I am very supportive of people saying, okay, I'm going to step out of that comfort zone 
and learn something really different. I think there's a lot of value in that. I did have that acknowledgement by our leaders that they knew this wasn't my background. They knew that they were going to have to give me more support. I really hate to think how much money we probably spent with our outside counsel because I don't have employment law and I was constantly on the phone with him. Um, But I think what people can learn from that, even if it's a situation where you're in a role and maybe you're being promoted to that next level and you know it's going to be a stretch for you that maybe you are, you know, 75% of the way there, but that there's that 25% gap of skill that you don't know. One is acknowledging that it's a stretch, that you are and you are being tapped for this. If you're if it's a promotion, you're being tapped for this because people have confidence in you. And if other people have confidence in you, you should have confidence in yourself, right? Other people are seeing that in you. And I think that's one of the things that was so Im- important about my experience is that these other individuals, these leaders who I really admired, they had confidence in me and that gave me confidence. So if, if you're ha- giving, being given that opportunity, it's because people have confidence in you, have confidence in yourself. And can you find that way to say, okay, you know what? I want to do this. I'm really excited. I know that I have a skill gap in this area. Here are some ideas I have for how I'm going to close that. I'd love your help with this. I'd love to hear your ideas as well. So you're not going into that situation faking that you know everything yes, or feeling like you're faking, like you know everything, which is where that imposter syndrome can, can pop up. Again, to your point, Kim, if you're getting you know promoted into a, into a bigger role or if you're moving into a different role outside of your area of expertise, you are not going to have all the skills that you need. And in fact, I, I've been at organizations where we would say in general, for someone who moves up a level or into a new role, for them to become effective at their job, and, and you really, really know their job, it takes two years. So like we would not move anyone into another role until they had been in their role for two years. So if you think about that, no one is expecting you to step into that role and know everything except maybe yourself. So can you say to the people who are around you and support you, I know where I have this gap. Here's what I'd like to do to fill it and just be proactive about addressing it. I love that. I absolutely. And I think that like you said, then you don't feel like you're faking it or mm-hmm. you're you've got this deep dark secret that mm-hmm. you're trying to hide <laughs> from everyone. Right? They're, they're going to find out. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm curious given that you work with so many leaders, does this come up in your work these uh, confidence issues, self-doubt? Do you see that at all? I I'm going to really generalize here. I see it more with women than with men. Um, Or maybe, and maybe that is because women are perhaps more likely to articulate it to somebody if they're feeling like it's a place where they can have that conversation. Mm. Um, You know, in my role with leaders has often been to be an advisor. Um, I often joke, I'm not a coach. (laughs) I'm not going to be your coach, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be your advisor 
And I do see that pop up with, um, with leaders, but like I said, especially with, with female leaders, I think the way it shows up sometimes is different and can be gender specific. And I'm sure that there are other, um, ways to look at it as well in terms of how it shows up differently with different demographics. But I think with women, a lot of times you'll see this show up as a, you know, a lack of confidence maybe when they're presenting or when they're sharing an idea. Um, And I think with men, sometimes it can show up as, and with women as well, it can show up as an over-rotation. Like I am feeling inadequate. I am feeling like I'm out of my depth. So I am going to completely over-index on being confident and assertive and providing the impression that I know everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which can have its own consequences. That's really interesting too. Yeah. Well, and I think what's so important about this conversation that you and I are having and the conversation more broadly is to recognize that leaders feel this way, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you talked about being in an SVP role. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of people who were in other parts of the organization who looked at you and thought, wow, she must have it all figured out, right? That's... (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And and, and really, I, I keep repeating myself when I say this, but that's the reason why I started this podcast because I think we're, because so many of us are afraid to say it out loud, we have this assumption that everyone else has figured it all out and it's just mm-hmm. us that are feeling mm-hmm. this way. And so we look up, we look around back to the comparison piece, right? Like, Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with me that everyone else is so cool and calm. And, you know, and so just peeling back the curtain a little bit and being able to see, wow, you know, you were in a, at an SVP level with, known gaps. You were accepted for that, right? You didn't know what you were doing and you made it work. And Mm -hmm. I think that's inspiration for everybody. You don't have to be perfect. You can ask for help and you're, you know, people will support you and you can be successful. We, nobody is born into management. (laughs) No, Uh, There's always something to learn, but if we put this pressure on ourselves to figure it all out, by ourselves, we're not going to have the kind of experience or get the kind of support that's going to help us to do that as painlessly and as, uh, you know, positively as possible. Mm -hmm. About a year ago, I was in the car with a young woman who, she's early in her career, um, mid-20s, and we were talking about how things are going with her at work. She, She used to work for me quite a number of years ago. And I was asking how things are going, and she was telling me how she had recently been given a broader set of responsibilities and that she felt like she was faking it and didn't know what she was doing. And I said, well, I feel that way all the time. <laughs> and, and, and I said, and you know, I'll call her, you know, Jennifer. I said, you know, Jennifer, who's a, another amazing leader that we both know. I said, Jennifer, she said that to me the other day. She's like, I really have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just faking it. And this young woman, she looked at me, she's like, really? You, both of you, you, you feel that way? And, and I said, this is, it's just kind of common. It's, you know, it's imposter syndrome. 
and you have to, one, you have to go, you know, going back to our, the beginning of this conversation, you have to hear that voice in your head. You have to acknowledge it. You have to know what it is about that that is causing that imposter syndrome. For me, it is that, you know, comparison, you know, there are a number of other things that might trigger that imposter syndrome. And then you need to understand that almost everybody feels it. We just have to have a conversation about it. But yeah, she was shocked to, you know, that two senior level, you know, individuals had that same feeling that she was feeling at a more entry level role. And I bet that conversation is going to stay with her. I hope so. Because <laughs> she's, she's amazing. She's amazing at what she does. And yeah, she has a lot of room to develop and grow, but she needs to own that. She needs to own her genius. And credit to her for saying that out loud. And, mm-hmm. and credit <laughs> to you for sharing your own story with her, because I just think that's how we get stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of which, what motivated you to want to tell your story today? And what are you hoping people will take away from it? What motivated me to tell my story, I feel so passionately about women in leadership and what we bring to the table and how important it is and and what an incredible influence we can have. And it saddens me. It, It just hurts my heart to see and hear women who again, aren't owning that thought leadership, aren't owning their own genius and their skills and abilities and what they have to offer to the world. And I, you know, I have been dealing with this in various permutations and I've been dealing with imposter syndrome for my entire career. And I still deal with it now, even though as a business owner, like I mentioned, it's not showing up as much because I think I'm really in my space um, that I love, but it's showing up differently. And I, I, I just, I wanted to talk about this because I really want to support others, especially women in that journey to understand that most of us are having this. And if we talk about it, And if we understand what is causing that reaction, it can help us to work through that, that we don't have to sit there and, and, you know, look at what we're doing and and say to ourselves, oh, but I'm not Brene Brown. I have no right to do this because I'm not (laughs) Brene Brown. (laughs) And I think if if there's one thing that I I hope that people get out of this conversation, it goes back to, again, if, if it's a really completely out of your depth opportunity, or if it's just a little bit outside of your comfort zone, there is incredible power in asking for help. And I, I think that I, I know in most of my career, um, up until really that point where I had no choice but to ask for help, I was hesitant to ask for help because I thought it showed weakness. I thought it showed that I didn't know what I was doing. But if you can come at it ahead of time and say, hey, I'm going to need some help here, there is so much power in that. And again, people genuinely want others to succeed and they're willing to help you. And I I hope that this conversation and my story will hopefully inspire some individuals when they're in that that position to say, hey, maybe I am going to ask for help here. I have no doubt 
that it will. I have been so inspired by your story. I'm sure others will as well. And I'm so grateful to you, Cynthia, for being here today. Oh, Kim, I am so grateful for the opportunity. I love what you're doing. I love the podcast and you are, you're, you're having really important conversations and just really want to thank you for what, what you're putting out there. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks again for listening today. If you're struggling with imposter syndrome and you'd like additional support, check out the show notes for more resources or contact me directly. I would love to help you. And if you'd like to tell your story, I would love to interview you. You will find my contact info in the show notes. So reach out anytime. Thanks again.